other guy. I really, really uh, appreciate your uh, opening up to me this morning, especially uh, when it's your first cup of coffee. <laughs> that it is. I know you've told this a million times before, but I, <laughs> I would like to hear it, on it and that is your uh, life journey leading up to being the Pope's astronomer. Well, it's a fun story. <clears throat> well, the, the important thing, I think, is to put it into its context. I'm a baby boom kid. <clears throat> so I grew up after the war, and in the 50s, this was a time of tremendous optimism, <clears throat> a tremendous uh, faith in science. You know, science won the war, and science was going to, had just cured polio, and science was going to solve our problems. But at the same time, it was also a very strong moment for the church. Uh, the, the Catholic schools were booming them. <clears throat> Membership, I think a lot of soldiers coming back from the war recognized uh, the need for a spiritual side to their lives. And so <clears throat> when I was in grade school, I learned science from the nuns. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about, you know, bad science. I'm talking cutting edge science, really good science. The, the, the sisters that I had and my grade school in suburban Detroit were phenomenally good. They were tremendous teachers, they were tremendous people, they were great examples to me. And they really encouraged me in my science. I was also a boy at the time when boy, all boys were going to be you know, scientists or engineers, girls not so much, this was the 60s. And being the son of, you know, an Irish and an Italian, so I had the, the Catholic in me by blood, <clears throat> both of them college educated, and <clears throat> in both cases, not even the first of their generation to go to college. My Italian grandfather was a lawyer, so <clears throat> there was a lot of education in the house, there was a lot of reading in the house, <clears throat> but there was also just a Catholicism that was not an extreme or an in-your-face or a far left or a far right, but just an unspoken core that, that was a tremendous gift. <clears throat> but I think of all the gifts that I got from my parents, and I think tremendous gifts from They were the most incredibly wonderful people. <clears throat> but they gave me this self-confidence to feel at home in the world, not afraid to try out new things, not afraid to explore, and not afraid to say, I don't know, let's find out. <clears throat> and that turns out to be key, both in a life of science and a life of religion. Because in either one, if you think you've got it ahead of time, then, then you're dead, then it's frozen, and then it, it withers. The seven days of creation, among other things, shows that God made the universe and made it in an orderly way and saw that every step was beautiful. But the ultimate point of Genesis is the seventh day, the Sabbath. And what is the Sabbath? It's the time when we don't worry about filling our stomachs and instead we fill our souls. And that is why we were created, to be astronomers or artists, or people of prayer, whatever it is we do that fills our souls. Whereas religion and science really share this talent of 
on the one hand, being open to the intuition, to being open to recognizing the experience, and then being able to think logically about it. <clears throat> There's a famous line that, uh, that um, Isaac Asimov, you know, the great science writer and science fiction writer had. He said, the most exciting thing you hear in the lab is not Eureka, I've discovered it. It's when the scientist goes, huh, that's funny. And what is not said then is you have to be open to recognize that something's funny rather than only seeing what you expect to see. And that's true in the life of religion and that's true in the life of science. They're, they're so close together. They both take the same talents. Why do I do the religion? Why do I do the science? If it's not to get people impressed with me, if it's not to make money, if it's not to get girls, you know, obviously it didn't work with me, then why do I do it? I do it out of a joy that happens when I'm close to truth. Because when I'm close to truth is when I'm close to God. And God is the source of all joy. Which is a very elegant way of saying I'm doing it for the fun of it because by golly, it's fun. I think we're closer to the truth than we were a thousand years ago. But what's more important is that we've got new and interesting questions that they wouldn't have thought to ask a thousand years ago. And it hasn't finished. You know, the year 2020, thank God, is not the apex of the, uh, the human understanding in human society. <clears throat> there will be a year 2030, whether any of us are around to see it. <clears throat> And that is a profoundly religious statement. Because it's not that the religion tells me this bit of science works, but the religion underpins it is the source of the assumptions I make about what I expect to see in the universe. And the fascinating thing is that the religions, Christianity, absolutely, and Islam, and Judaism, and Hinduism, and Buddhism, have all survived changes in the way we understand the universe, changes in our scientific understanding of what goes on, because they are tapping into something that is true, that is not dependent on how many planets we think there are. And anybody who doesn't recognize that is missing something fundamental in what's going on in these religions. Hmm.